welcome to How to Win the Lottery, Season 5, Episode 3, Unadaptable Module, Eileen, Matessa Moshfag. Five? Module 5. Okay. Depression, basically, campus, internet, Louisiana. Wow, yeah, all right. Movies. Yeah. The movies. Yeah. Uh, this is the second time that you've done prayer hands at me in the last 30 seconds. Well, this is because I'm doing the Vin Diesel. What was the first one? I don't know what you're talking about. All right. I'm Jerry Lewandowski. Yep. Eileen by Otessa Moshfag coming out later this year sometime. I think people have already seen it somewhere. Somehow. Probably, some, probably Sundancer or Cannes or one of those. Very possibly. Telluride Film Festival, the Berlin Film Festival, um, the, the uh, Venice Film Festival. Keep going. Slam dance. Smash dance. If you do this for an hour, we don't have to do the episode. Dance dance. This is the episode. Uh, the Asbury Park Film Festival. Sure. Um, You've been doing it for about 25 seconds. You need to do another 59 and a half minutes. Yeah, I could do it. Just, the, you know, if you stop interrupting me. <sighs> Directed by William Oldroyd, who did Lady Macbeth. Yeah. Written by Luke Goebel, who co-wrote Causeway with Otessa Moshfag. So oh, I guess they like yeah, are no just kidding. buddies or whatever. Um, starring Thomas and McKenzie, Anne Hathaway, and Shea Wiggum. Did you see Causeway? I did. Wasn't it good? Yeah. It was? Okay. I mean, I don't know how a movie with like two like just objectively great actors written by one of our favorite writers could be bad. Oh, it could be bad. Yeah, probably. But it's yeah, good. It's, it's good. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's on Apple. It's on Apple. Also, right. like the Apple thing is like all these, all those movies. Somehow, I don't know how they do it other than just money, but like they all look great. I'm gonna make an effort to see it. I started watching uh, Lost Highway last night. Oh, um, why? I just felt like watching something. I don't know why, but that's like one of the scariest movies ever made. It's really scary. It's a very, very scary movie. Today we're recording on Easter. Yeah. Happy Easter. I want to read a novelization of Lost Highway. You want to write one or read is one. there one? I want to read one. Is there one? I don't know. Probably not. Can't Google it. Today on Criterion, on their Instagram, they posted a picture of rabbits from Inland Empire. I'm just like, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Do I have vocal fry? I feel like I have some sort of vocal fry thing going on right now, or is that just the You microphone? said that after you did like a very low yeah. anti-vocal fry. Mm-hmm. Have you seen In a World, Lake Bell's movie? No. Really good. The post credit scene, I think, is, or maybe the last scene in the movie, is not a spoiler, because it's not really about the plot, but she's teaching like California girls with vocal fry how to not sound like babies. Yeah, I don't. I feel like vocal fry is a, um, <clears throat> and that California girl thing has been has been like I remember when I was a kid, my my dad like saying some wildly sexist shit to some like girl that was uh, working at a video store. Him just being like, "Do you really talk like that? Do you talk like that for real? That's your that's your actual that's your actual voice." And uh, he, yeah, he was making fun. He was just being mean to her for no reason at all. And I feel like that uh, uh, goes along with vocal fry too. Like I feel like people are mean to people who have vocal fry. That's a bummer. Yeah, because I think it, it it implies that they are less intelligent, but just like you just grew up in a certain place. I guess so. I don't know. Is, is vocal fry regional? I think it's I think it's a California thing generally. Hmm. Or maybe, maybe I'm just thinking. Maybe I I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I got no answers. Let's talk about the book. Come on. You you got a soft track and then. Opposite of California, Boston. Is that opposite? Kind of. Well, they're coastally opposite. They're temporally opposite. Attitudinally 
opposite? Yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah. Probably, sure. Sure. Southern California is the opposite of Boston. Cool. We're not in Boston, but we're in a school outside Boston. And by school, I mean prison. Tulsa, or whatever your name is today, what is Eileen about? You know my goddamn name. I'm not allowed to say your name, though. In spite of that Destiny Child song, I cannot. Um, Eileen is about a uh, woman who is stuck in one place in a town, dreams of getting out of that town. She works as a secretary at a children's prison and a charismatic Don't stranger. Don't say children's prison. That makes it sound really a weird. charismatic. It is a children's prison. I know, but a like. A charismatic stranger comes and shakes up her life. I feel like the, 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 the introduction of a charismatic stranger is a trope that engulfs a lot of fiction, right? Because it's like you have a character that is passive. Mm-hmm. A charismatic stranger comes in and forces them out of their shell to, to do the thing yeah. that advances their life, which like I, 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 I honestly hadn't thought of it like this until now. But this is in some ways a manic pixie dream girl novel. Sure. Well, I think what's what what struck me as this went on. So the main character is Eileen, who in the movie will be played by Thomas and McKenzie. And the charismatic stranger is Rebecca, named after the Hitchcock movie, Rebecca. Is it? Yeah. Played by I think they mentioned in the novel, too. Maybe or maybe that's just in the wiki. Mosh Vegas said. She named the title character. Wait, isn't Rebecca is named for the title character in Rebecca? Said the film is one of her favorites, and that when I was writing Eileen, I was thinking of her, of Rebecca, and the power that she has as this untouchable, beautiful woman who seemed to be this way and turned out to be that way. Yeah, okay. But so Anne Hathaway is the charismatic stranger. What I was, what I was sort of struck by as I was reading this, as I went on, is like in the manic pixie dream girl sense, it would be like a uh, Paul Dano falling in love with Zoe Kazan in the Ruby Sparks of it all. But here she's not, I don't think at least she's not rationalizing as such. I don't think she's falling in love with Rebecca. She just is falling in love with the idea of like someone different who can like maybe help her break free. But like this movie or this book is so a romantic or a, a sexual or just like, yeah. like it feels like the, the attraction she has to male coworkers are almost like perfunctory. Like she doesn't want to be attracted. She's just like, I feel like I'm supposed to because, like, that's what society says I'm supposed to do. Well, yeah. I mean, she states specifically that she's not a lesbian. Um, she's obviously attracted to this guy, Randy. Um, she feels arousal when she sees the uh, uh, Lee Polk, who's a child. 14. Uh, masturbating. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's it's all, like, part of this, like, sensual world. Because, like, like uh, by, by sensual, I mean, like, uh, just sensory. Mm-hmm. Um Otessa Moshfeg does a really great, and she does this in all of her novels. She uh, does a really great job of creating atmosphere through describing um, sort of the texture of the world around, mm-hmm, around mm-hmm, her. Mm-hmm. Like everything is covered in a layer of, in, in this novel, everything is covered in a layer of dirt. Um, the characters all have like, you know, jelly smeared on their sweater or a pimple. Or, or wine caked into the corners of their lips. Yeah, or like hair like poking out of their noses. Yeah. Or, you know, when she de- she describes her vagina as like a cavern full of folds mm-hmm. and things like mm-hmm. that. And she describes like her dad's pubic hair in a certain way. And like you, you're constantly hearing about um, lipstick and, and the cigarettes that are being smoked. And, and you really like... 
And also, it's a novel that is fantastic at describing how fucking cold it is. Like, you read this novel and you really feel cold. So there is something very um, sensual. I think, like, kind of like a lot of what the novel is doing is creating emotional feelings within you through just describing a physical atmosphere and physical attributes of the people around her. And I think that's something that Mastra, like, I think that's her like main trick. I think that's what she does across like all of her books is she invokes emotion through, uh, this grotesque world that she creates. Cause it's all, I, with, with the exception of my year in rest and relaxation, um, which does that a little bit, but the characters in that novel are, are actually beautiful. Yeah. Um, in each of her books, uh, uh, Death in Her Hands. Death in Her Hands? Is that the name of the book? Mm-hmm. Death in Her Which Hands. Which we covered. Season one, um, episode two, maybe? One? So that our first book? That was our first book, yeah. Wow, okay. Death in Her Hands, uh, this book, and... Um, Magloo? Uh, La- well, Labvona more than Magloo. I guess Magloo. I don't really remember Magloo that well because I read that so long ago. Um, but Labvona, like, a lot of the work that's being done in the book isn't what happens in the book. It's like describing deformities and, and, and yeah. describing like characters feelings by reacting to this world that they're in, that they want to reject or run away from. Yeah. This book is gross. It's disgusting. I was, I was like, I, this is my third time reading it and I was almost shocked by how dark it is, how, how like dark it's worldview. Um, well, so apparently it's worldview is. I have the wiki open cause I wanted to look because this is getting adapted and there's the thing I want to talk about, which you, preface we might have mentioned in the preview in the the season five preview or whatever but a lot of criticism came of this or the discussion around this focus on the quote disgustingness of the character eileen as her character characters frequently focus on their bodies with mashvek saying quote i find it to be a crucial element of character how someone is embodied in their physical self but they also talked about how like she intended readers to find eileen more self-loathing than repellent because i think she's just kind of like plain jane she just like I feel gross. The world hates me. I'm I'm not worthy of love, but she's not like a disgusting person. Like there are, there are people that who are described in this book as like gross and disgusting, but she's not one of them. Yeah. Maybe there's a lot of stuff in here about how she's like, just like, yeah, I'm not going to shower. Yeah. But like, or or how she's like, you know, puking, but Rebecca doesn't shower either. Like at the end, she's like, that's true. She's like, it's, it's cold enough. I don't have to shower. Mm -hmm. She's like, well, that's not really the same thing. Yeah. I like this book a lot as a palate cleanser, as a as a reset after the difficulty of Underworld and a, a book I love, but just the difficulty of reading an 820 page book or whatever, spanning 40 years and a bunch of characters. And this is just like all in the head of one girl. And I was just like, I like it. I don't love it yet. I'm not sure what where it's going. I'm not sure where it's going to wind up. And then like the twist happens. I told you before I was I said out loud, fuck, yeah, like this is so cool. Um but I think knowing what the twist is, which we can talk about now or later or whatever, but like knowing what the twist is, it makes me question a lot. Like, I think it's effective because it makes me question a lot of the things that came earlier in terms of like the ways that Rebecca interacts with Eileen and like how predatory was she? Yeah, that's fair. Because like this book takes place largely over the course of like a week. Yeah, I, I guess like the thing, let, let's let's talk about the plots so that we can talk about. um so it's being told in like current day, which is like 2014 or something by like a 75 year old Eileen about a week, her last week at the children's prison in Xville. Did when you read Xville, did you see X-Files every time it was written as Xville? <laughs> um, I did uh, half the time I saw X-Files. Nerd alert. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, spending her like her last week in this town living at home with her dad 
And so like the book is kind of a mystery because you're like, what happened? Like, you know, something happens that she isn't like in jail and she's still alive because she's talking about like all these men she's like, you know, had relationships with over the years and like lessons she's learned or whatever. You're like, I don't know what happened. And it's not like in Underworld where you're like, we know that he went to jail for manslaughter. It's like, how did that happen? It's like, we don't know what happened at all. Yeah. And then you find out, you're like, oh, okay. The the plot is three or four days of her just like day to day at this prison. And then this like, what'd you, how'd you, a charismatic, charismatic stranger? stranger. So yeah. So shows uh, up and uh, changes everything. She shows up and, and she's Rebecca and she is meant to be an educator of these kids. She comes from Harvard and she has a sort of uh, bourgeois affect that is uh, influential on everyone around her. All of a sudden she's calling people who are normally called by their titles, by their first names, and she is uh, smoking cigarettes in a way that like it's bold for a woman at the time um, and she's dressed really really nicely she, like yeah, not just for the town but like also for like the work she's doing in where she's doing it yeah and so she falls into this role as educator and she it's like pretty not immediately clear um but she ends up taking special interest in this one kid whose name is leonard polk the, even though i think she's only at the prison for like two days this is this is well, this is where uh, uh plot like strains credulity to me um because you you run up into into this this question of whether or not she brought this set of ideals in with her with the intention of doing something like this immediately, or if she entered into this circumstance and was immediately so overwhelmed by what was happening that right. she felt need to take immediate action. But if if she were that kind, if she's that kind of character with that sort of impulsivity, uh, lack of impulse control, then it feels unlikely to me that she would be a person that gets this job and uh, it made me wonder if she's done this before and it's just like like she's because i can see a version of this world where this prison is like i can't believe i don't know how we're able to hire this woman like she's bounced around a little bit but like we're able to like we can afford her or whatever like it's because she like has been you know she's done this kind of thing without i mean i i guess without speculating too much on what happens off the page because you know it doesn't really matter but like i i would say probably not because she's so shitty at at, at this and she needs to bring in eileen to help her but anyway, so, so let's let's actually say what happens yeah so that, so that um so uh she she finds this one one uh prisoner named lee polk who uh is in jail for killing his father is in jail for killing his father and has previously been seen masturbating by uh eileen in the cave like in solitary basically. and eileen has his folder and she drops it on the floor and rebecca takes his folder and takes it home with her for some for some nighttime reading um and the next day she comes in and she's she's becoming close to to lee that's it then she goes home and 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 eileen notices she's like this is very peculiar how like she's touching this kid on his knee and she's invites him to to her office with her to have a have a coke does she even bring it home? Like, I feel like it's only two days. Like, I think because yeah. it's like she shows up and then they go out to drinks that night. Mm-hmm. And then the next day, no, I think it's the next day that they go out. to. Drink. So there's so she's she's at prison for three days. Mm-hmm. OK, Um. so she she uh, kidnaps this kid's mom, not kidnaps. Uh, imprisons, imprisons this kid's mom in, in her own house. And because the kid has told her that he killed his father because his father was raping her. Raping yeah. him, yes. raping him, the kid, not yeah. the mom, raping yeah. the kid. You got it? 
Yeah, I, well, I said her like it was. It was like, <laughs> like we're 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 not dancing around what happened because like this is all revealed in a very kind of methodical way. Yeah. So she's brought Eileen in to help her with this thing with with this mom, where she's trying to get the mom to admit that uh, she was aware of the father raping this child because um, the kid tells her and tells her that the mother was giving him enemas and stuff like that, and so. Eileen has immediately, not Eileen, sorry, Rebecca has immediately jumped toward this uh, extreme, extreme reaction. Right. And and it's like, you think that she must have gone into this prison with this as a plan. Like, she's going to get to the bottom of something and... Of not Lee, but just like a kid yeah, who has create, been wrong or something. Create justice for, for yeah. some kid. Um, and that's the only part of the, that's the only part of the entire book that I'm just like, I don't really um, like this. I, I would understand it if this book didn't take place over three days. Well, yeah, because that's because what what I started to wonder, and I'm like, I don't think the timeline adds up. Is did she only befriend Eileen because she knew she needed an accomplice? Yeah, I mean, my my take on that is yes. So you think so? Like, there is a version of this world where she shows up to this prison, like I'm going to, I'm going to fix something. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to fix something. And she finds Eileen because it feels like, at least in Eileen's mind, this whole novel is told from her perspective that it seems like Rebecca takes an interest in her like almost right well, away. Well, no. Okay. So, so I, I, I think she's being friendly and then she like brings her in rapidly because she needs help because she's in over her head. It seems like she's like that with every single person, right? This is why she's calling other people by their first name. She's like this with the guys at the bar, right? Where she's winking at them. It's the manifest. So like everyone, she, everyone is the most important. Like they feel like they're the most important person in the world when they're with her. She is is a very magnetic, uh, very, very magnetic presence that makes people feel attached to her in a certain way. And, and so like, I don't know that she targeted Eileen, but I think, you know, you, you know, people like this who, who are, who are magnetic and who can get people to do things for them. And so even if she doesn't have a plan, she is attaching herself to people with the idea of abusing that power later. Okay. So I think, I think, I think that in this case later, it's just the next day. Yeah. Which is again, stretching credulity for me because it seems like maybe this would be more effective if it took place over six months or something like that. But I will say that famously Otessa Moshveg wrote this book using a, how to write a successful novel guide like she she like read a book on how to write a successful novel how to write a bestseller and then use that to like sketch this out so i think like within those boundaries within the boundaries of creating a popular fiction thriller novel like that falls under the realm of suspension of disbelief where you can look at that and you can go like okay i i totally 100 buy that on on the grounds that like we're this is not naturalism even though the setting sort of, you know, this is what like when Emil Zola is writing naturalism, this is what he's doing. He's writing this exact, like some of these pages could have been lifted directly from uh Germinal or something like that, where it's like, you know, dust covers the, the tabletop while like people with sores scratch their privates in the corner. Like that's, you know, that's what Zola was writing. Right. So like that is very much na- a naturalistic element, but she is also writing a genre thriller with the intention of selling a lot of copies. She wanted to say the quote that she gave to Harper's Bazaar. I wanted to attract the reader who might reach for something commercial to read on an airplane, something that looked like it would transport them to another place, but not teach them anything or challenge them. I thought if I could get the reader to come with me to this place and then startle them with some frank realities, 
maybe consciousness could shift a little bit. Um, I think I don't. So I love that it takes place over a week. I think it was very effective. Yeah, I don't good structure. I don't think you need six months of build up. I think if Rebecca had shown up in the first chapter, the fact that Rebecca doesn't show up to like halfway through the novel almost. Yeah. It's like, whoa, because I knew nothing about the plot, nothing about the characters, nothing about anything, but I knew from the IMDb, like from the whole point of this module, the whole like scope with which we're reading these books, that was a Thomas McKenzie and Hathaway thing. I'm like, so who's Rebecca? Like Rebecca is not Eileen. She's not the title character. And it seems like it's just her and her dad. Like there's no one at prison named Rebecca. And then I'm like, there's got to, like, she's not just going to be like a cameo or something. Like there's got to be like a thing. And then when she shows up, like she's like the most important person in the world or whatever, but like it takes a long time to get there. Yeah. And I would even buy it by all of the kind of sped up, accelerated, like she's vigilante justice, whatever. If it was six or seven days as opposed to just two or three. Like, I don't think I need six months, but I think like, yeah, there is a version of this where like at the end of the first chapter, Rebecca shows up. I don't need I, I don't need the six months for her to seduce uh, for her to seduce Eileen. I need the six months for her to commit herself to action, um, which maybe uh, like I'm, uh, let's walk it back a little bit. Maybe she is like a good liberal who is so shocked by the conditions of these pri- this prison yeah. that she is immediately enacted towards some course of justice. Well, I think I think like that's I'm not saying that she needs six months to seduce Eileen. I think she needs six. Like, I, I think she needs like even just a week to like. If she is unstable, which I think objectively she probably is because normally adjusted people don't imprison other people, right? Yeah, I guess so. Um, I can see it. Like, I just like just a couple more days, like even within this, the, the framing and the structure of the novel, which we both said works well, I think just like have it at the beginning as opposed to the middle. And I think it's fine. But I don't know. I also like, like I love, the, I love the twist. I think that's um, shocking in a way because like it's set up that they go out to drink and then the next day at work, she's like, hey, you want to come over tomorrow? And she gives her the address. And then she goes to this house and like she's been Eileen's been picturing Rebecca as this like bourgeois, rich woman. And she's like, oh, that's kind of on the wrong side of the tracks. That's weird. And she gets there and like the house is disgusting. And like the vivid way that she describes like a gross bathroom. Like I don't know if you've ever gone, gone to somebody's house and like their bathroom is gross. It's like, oh, this is the like I feel like I shouldn't be judging them because like I'm in somebody else's house right now. But like, oh, this is gross. And like the way she describes the bathroom with like. The, it smells gross and like the the shower curtains moldy and like there's like the toothpaste that's like all chewed up and like our toothbrush is all chewed up and the toothpaste is like crusty and it's like dollar store brand or whatever. I'm just like, this is so specifically vividly real and gross. And I'm like that. And like, there's like one of like six or seven different things that she's like, this house is disgusting. You're like, so the whole, the whole time I'm reading, I'm just like, is this like the twist? Is this like that Rebecca's actually poor? And she's like, I'm actually like a huckster or whatever. And then she's like, it's actually the pole cast. I'm like, oh yeah. Like I think that like it all works. Like I love that. It's just the timeline. I think you don't need to change even the the timeline of the book. Just make it all happen. Yeah, I mean, like like I sooner. said, like I like that. Like I'm willing to suspend disbelief mm-hmm. in this circumstance because it is operating realistically within the mode of of a thriller of a genre right novel so it's fine it's i i'm not like i don't want to get too hung up on on that as a criticism because i you know i really do i really do like this book and i think i i, I was telling you before uh before we started recording that um like there is a world where this novel um is like almost like a coen brothers movie where 
the very last thing that happens in this novel is actually the first act, and then the rest of the book is spent covering up their their horrific crime. Right. And they're like two you know, one of my one of my favorite genres is people who aren't criminals commit a crime that yeah. they, that they're not ready for. Yeah. And so then you have like the spiraling out of control of trying to cover up that crime. Um and this novel like very conveniently is just like fuck that. She gets out of the house and then like that's the end of the book. Well, I thought so I thought so yeah, the 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 novel's like 260 pages and like there's like a chapter called The End, which is 10 pages at the end. And they're like, all right, here's the plan. We're going to bring her to my house. We're going to shoot her there, put the gun in my dad's hand, and like he's, we're going to let him deal with it. We're going to go to New York. And then Rebecca, like without saying it, she's basically like, nah, like that's not going to happen. They load her in the car. And yeah, the, well, Rebecca's like, I'll meet you yeah, which at, is, your, at your house, which you immediately know that she's not going to. Right. And the, the, the main part of the novel ends. And I'm like, I wonder if we're ever, like, we might just never find out. Like, obviously, she gets away, but I'm just like, there's like a version where, like, just like, but you, like, but you don't know what happens to Rebecca. You don't know what happens to her dad. Right. You know that she ditches the car. Well, leave. because like, cause that's what's that's what's weird. It's like in the end, which is only 10 pages long, the first like three or four pages of that still don't explain what she did. Yeah. And I'm just like, when are you going to get to it? Yeah. And like it, it, she gets she explains it. But it's just also like there's probably I'm like, are we just not going to know how this resolved? Because like maybe a lot of it, you don't know how it resolves. I mean, it's 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 out there because you don't know what happens to the dad. You don't know what happens to Rebecca. You know that Mrs. Polk is left in a car windows up and the car running and the car has a carbon mono- uh, like a monox a leak. Right. Um, Which is like a consistent thing. throughout. It's one of the many, many, many Chekhov's guns that it plays the, like they're. Like, well, the, the icicle. There's the icicle. There's the gun, and there's the carbon monoxide. Is yeah. it carbon monoxide? It's carbon monoxide. It's right? something. It's something where like, because I always it's the you exhaust. Know, it's yes. the exhaust from the car is feeding. It's, back it's backing in, up in, yeah. into the car. Yeah. So for I, I'd imagine that anyone that is listening to this podcast knows what Chekhov's gun is, but it's the idea that if you introduce a gun in the first act, that gun has to go off in the third act or the fifth act, depending on the structure. Otherwise, um, don't bring it up. Yeah. Otherwise, don't bring it up because it creates it creates tension. Uh, and, a, a, you know, Chekhov's gun doesn't have to be a gun. It can be anything. Uh, as long as that anything like functions in a, in a foreshadowing way. And well, like she, she mentions like these icicles like 12 times, but not, like, not only, not only just the icicles, but she mentions like how she like fantasizes about the icicles, like falling and going through her brain or her, her dad's dad. brain or whoever's, or yeah. like the cop's brain or whatever. I'm just like, I can tell this is kind of like a red herring, but like it does pay off. But like, and that's how I got my scar. And it's just like, you know, you get a, scar, yeah, a scar that we don't that has never been mentioned to this right. point. Um, but uh, uh, an interesting thing that like is uh, uh, sort of plays into this idea of how this book is is functioning is like Chekhov's gun is a very um, uh, like pre-modernist approach to to writing. Like it creates tension in a very structured way so that that tension can be relieved during the apotheosis. Um, mm. and, and like, that is like writing 101 and postmodernism has like sought to undo that right. in, in, in many ways. So what you have now a lot of times and what you would expect from a writer like Otessa Moshveg is th- the introduction and creation of, uh, uh, tension via Chekhov's gun only to subvert that idea so that you can. Uh, especially because she's writing an otherwise realistic novel mm-hmm. um, so that you can leave that tension and deny the the reader um, or the viewer any satisfaction because the real, the real world 
normally it doesn't tie up neatly. Yeah, it's yeah. A, the real world is normally a mind fuck that has no orgasm. Right. Right. Whereas, like, that's a good quote. The the Chekhov's Chekhov's gun is like very orgasmic, right? It's like it's it like li- like in a, in a very Freudian way. Like the gun goes off, you ejaculate. That's holy shit. This is the end, and then it's all falling action, and then you fall asleep, having yeah. disappointed your lover, right? Um, <laughs> like that is that is like the structure yeah. that you're expecting, yeah. and because Otessa Moshfag, who I would otherwise think of as a postmodern author, right? My year of rest and relaxation. Spoiler alerts for my year of rest and relaxation. Um, functions as a kind of 9-11 novel where like 9-11 does not happen in in the book, but you know the time period exists in the days leading up to 9-11. So, which is like, that's not even a spoiler because that's like, you know that throughout the entire book, the, right. the time period that you know it's a New York novel that takes place in the days before 9-11. 9-11 doesn't happen on the page. So it's this, it's this thing that exists that just creates tension and then you, you don't come, mm-hmm. right? So like- what you expect from well, maybe you don't expect from Otessa Moshfeg because this is like her first mainstream novel, but what you expect from a postmodern novelist like Otessa Moshfeg is uh, that lack of resolution. Like, they, like you you expect her to build the tension and not release it, or at least that's what well, I. She, she kind of like half releases it then in this one, right? Like she, we get the Eileen ending, kind of, yeah, but we don't get the other endings. Well, the gun. I mean, the gun goes off. Right. The gun goes off in like in like the most like like NYPD blue law and order goofy action movie. I dropped the gun and accidentally fires and shoots someone so as to relieve fault from all the people in the room, basically, of it. Um, So like the, the, the reason why, like. Because it functions within the realm of this, like how to write a bestseller, mm-hmm. um, this thing that doesn't make people think too hard, this mm-hmm. thing that doesn't, uh, um, you know, presents you with a, a a real world that you know it still exists within the the constraints of a, a, a normal uh, narrative. That's how we end up with uh, Chekhov's gun going off three times. Yeah. <laughs> Or like th- the, th- the three different Chekhov's guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which I guess is f- fulfilling. It's satisfying. But it's also like, because there isn't really, like you were saying, there isn't really an ending. Like she doesn't even know, like Eileen doesn't even know what happened to her dad. Yeah, I mean, the tension with the dad exists. That that that, that remains, right? And we don't know what happened to Rebecca. I mean, we or we assume that Rebecca's fine. Because like Rebecca seems like the char- kind of character who is bulletproof. She probably moves on. She probably doesn't stick around in that town. But probably she, she, not. she gets out and she goes somewhere that's a little warmer. And Eileen is fine. Like yeah. she seems good and like happy and like choose. Like, right. Has- She's definitely grown. Like we, we know throughout the novel that she has had many like healthy relationships. She seems in a healthy place now where she accepts being alone and how she like prefers. And she prefers be being alone. Yeah. Being in bed by herself. She got to New York. She lived her. She lived her life. Um, and she's happy. Yeah. Easy. And is now recounting her, her growth. Should we talk about uh, Freudianism? Freud at all? Do you have any did you did you make any notes on Freud? I didn't make any notes on Freud. They talk they talk in the text about I mean the, the edible complex, like that whole thing. Yeah, like, yeah they, they do talk about, about that. like killing your father and having sex with your mother, but like it's kind of the reversal of that where your mother is complicit in the sex with your father against your like it's like the whole like twisted like the Lee Polk stuff, right? Yeah, there's also a, a parallel, right, between Polk and and Eileen. Eileen's father is pretty clearly molesting Eileen's sister. 
yes. or, or, or has been because there is a time when he's drunk and he starts groping Eileen. And, and Eileen, he calls her Joni. Yeah, Eileen yeah. bats his hand away and he's like, oh, Joni, don't be so fussy. Right. Um, that and, comes like toward the end. Like you, like the book sets him up as like a disgusting, drunken, verbally abusive father. But Eileen over and over again just says like, you know, other people have it worse. Like I'm, 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 this is not good, but like he could be raping me or whatever. Like, well, she's also, she's also, um, a, a character that, um, either hasn't experienced, uh, I, I, I don't, I don't, it's, I'm unsure how to frame this, but she seems like she is, um, at least psychologically interested in being raped or interested in being molested because she is, she doesn't know any love and nobody has ever paid her any attention. So she mistakes the affection that her father, the by affection, I mean molestation, that her father shows to Joni. She, she mistakes that for affection and wants it for herself the same way that she thinks of the sexual assault that Randy, the security guard that she's in love with, committed that was on his rap sheet that she saw. She fantasizes about him raping her when right. she's like, like walking out to her car at night. I think she's also like, I think it's important to note, like it's in the sixties. So like the internet, like you can't, like you can't, it's small town pre-internet old timey. Like she does not really like to the point where she doesn't even understand. She's like, hold on. Like, what are you saying that Lee's dad did to him? Mm-hmm. Like, can you explain this to me? Cause she's like, she can't even, yeah. she, like she doesn't even know what to picture. And then, and then Rebecca, uh, knowing that she's dealing with like a child, someone who knows nothing about the yeah. world has to say like sodomy, anal rape. And she's like, God. And then she's even like, I don't, I still don't understand like how that's even possible. Like it's like this yeah. for a boy like Lee, like she's very much like, um, almost dismissive of, of, uh, Lee's trauma because she doesn't understand how, it like biologically works, right? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. So it's, she's, she's 24, but she mentally, like at least sexually is like 12 maybe. Right. Well, while also being judgmental um, yeah. and, 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 you know, being like consistently thinking of other women in the text as being disgusting or being like sluts or whatever, but then also um, like talking about the, these sort of like really, really dark fantasies, dark sexual fantasies mm-hmm. that she herself has. Well, I think what, so like at the end when she's like reflecting back, like I think as she's driving away with Mrs. Polk in the front of her car or whatever, she's like, Rebecca's showing up at least like accelerate the timeline, like help me get out of there earlier or whatever. I'm like, I don't think she ever would have left. Like, I don't think she yeah. ever would have left if I Rebecca never not. showed up. It's hard to leave. Right. It's hard. It's hard to, especially when you have, you know, like uh, someone that's relying on you, like her father is. Um, even no matter how much she dislikes him, it's still like, how can you really get out? Right. Um, cause she is so like, she, she looks down on everybody, including herself. I mean, she has no like prospects in terms of like anything, any element of her life. So like in a way, Rebecca did manic pixie her, but also like in like the, the worst way mm-hmm. possible. Right. So I like that framing though. I like the, I like the manic pixie. Yeah, I, I wasn't thinking about it when I was reading it, but it, like I think it falls into this into this weird structure. I asked you before, and I said, "Don't answer. Save this for the podcast." Having read this now three times, just reading it on your own and then teaching it, and then for the podcast, do you pick up? Oh, you said you you said you pick up on our tricks. Like, what do you, what what did you notice this time? What did you notice? Oh, new? It's, I, no, it's not. I, I don't even think it's new. I think I, I already I already talked about it a little bit, which is like this. Uh, she talks about it in, in, a, in a quote that you, you gave that she like um, crafts a world of emotion through the like grotesqueries and physical presences of the people in the text. It's not it's very rarely 
what these characters are saying. And it's very rarely um, even thoughts that these characters have. Rather, it's it's their like kaleidoscope or funhouse mirror version of the world around them. Mm-hmm. Like the the things that she decides to describe, rather than describe somebody's eye color, she might describe a pimple on someone's nose right. as like the the sole like trait of their face. And and like her focus on those things give you gives you a real like insight into the way that character views the world and the way that, that character views the world sort of clues you into to uh, uh, both plot and and like action of of like how that character establishes their goals within the structure and moves forward to complete those goals. So do you think that you because I think by design, like what she said, and what we've talked about, this does not seem to be the kind of novel that like would reward rereading or would encourage rereading. Yeah, I don't know that it does. Entirely. But like like because I think the twist of like oh there this is dark this is even darker than i thought it was going to mm-hmm. be but like not that you are like i think i think i think what what she is saying and i think what's probably true of a lot of people is that like people either see the world through rose colored glasses or don't think of the world as dark as it really is but like that is not lost on you clearly or just anybody who like critically thinks about anything so once you've read this book which she which say 80% of it is like written by design to not challenge you yeah. And then the surprise reveal or the thing that she wants you to think about is like, hey, the world is dark. Like, I don't know. Knowing the twist adds anything like is. There- well, I, no, I'll, I'll say that actually the twist, I think, is the least dark part of the of the book itself. I mean, like once you start once she starts going into detail about like and then the mother gives the kid enemas that the kid's ass is clean so that when the father has sex with the mother, he's no, he's not giving her a UTI. Right. Right. Like that part is, is pretty dark in its, in its description because just like the fact of the sexual violence is dark, but like that genre twist is, takes us out of the novel's realism and puts us into this place where we're thinking about storytelling as opposed to, uh, where we're thinking about environment where this, so, so like the darkness of the novel to me is the father, like being like, you know, not your color when she's wearing the lipstick. He, mm-hmm. he's, he's like the casual cruelty of the right. father and the father's like, um, increasing dementia and the, the like cleaning off frozen vomit on the, on her, uh, the front seat of her car. Like that's all the, the dark stuff to me. The genre twist is a relief from the darkness of the world because it enters us into this place of, um, narrative that we're much, much more comfortable with because this, yeah. like that is a twist that you would see on television. That is a twist right. that you would see in movies. So we're, we're like inherently conditioned to have that kind of climax, that kind of uh, release and it's like the reason why you say fuck yeah is because it's really satisfying because right. because we have like um we've been brought to a place in in like a good way i mean i like commercial television i like commercial films i i like the three-act structure with the mm-hmm, with the mm-hmm. rising you know um as much as on this show i i like often praise like boredom and sloppiness right, in writing. right, right, right. i like i i also like can appreciate structure but like the 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 dy- dynamism of the text is um using that naturalism and then pivoting into genre. So like, I don't think it's quite as easy as she's making it out to be. I think like that is like a really interesting way to, um, not necessarily subvert expectations. I don't know how to say this. It's, it's like leaning into expectations for a casual reader 
and subverting expectations of someone who's looking at the book academically. So it's like doing a couple of things. It's 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 like, you know, it's it's rubbing its belly and patting its head. Um, which I think is like a really complicated way to do things. I think I think she's like undermining like well, a really also, a really complex thing that she's I doing. I don't I think it's no surprise that I mean we've praised her a lot before on, on this episode and the first episode and whatever that we both love her as a writer. Like and she's probably being not self deprecating, but like playing down her abilities, right? Like, oh, I just want to do something kind of like that anybody could enjoy and then like make them think, but just like, well, you're doing more than that, right? Like it's just so yeah. yeah. So I think I think what I think what the way you said it is very well said, but I think it's also just like she's self-deprecating because she doesn't want to be like, look at this great thing that I just did. You sure. Yeah. But I, yeah, I agree. You know. Let's talk about the actual film upcoming film version of this because I said that as I was reading this, I was thinking visually and like the way it feels because this this book feels cold. It feels smelling. Like yeah, we talked about with like sure the, does. with the New Orleans books, the Louisiana books. I keep saying New Orleans. The Louisiana books, like they felt like hot and yeah, sticky. Yeah, the humidity. Yeah. And this is just like it. Just like you can smell it. Yeah. And like cold just, ass New England in like in like dusty rooms with unwashed people and lots of cigarettes. And like she gets in her car and it still smells like vomit. And like she smells like the gun. The guns like. She's like the gun smells like my dad, but not like his alcohol dad. Like it's like the the like the good whiskey. It's just like there's like weird like sense memory tied to everything here. Um, but I was saying that I think the book, not in how the book was written, although it did, I guess taking it one step further, it's similar. But it, the the film adaptation, I can see this being adapted in a way like Charlie Kaufman did. I'm thinking of ending things mm-hmm. because so much of the book is set in winter and snow and in the car and just like not very much happened because you were saying. The climax of this is just two people talking at a table, and I'm like, yeah, but like, yeah. I mean, there is like uh, her wrapping a, a scarf around her head and then pointing a gun at someone and shouting at her. But the the most of the final act of the of the book and and what I assume would be the movie, unless they really like ramp it up, um, is two people at a table talking, right? Because like so much of I'm thinking of anything, which is a book that I love and a movie that I love even more, is just the main character thinking like worried about meeting her boyfriend's parents for the first time. And then you're like, how does that even translate? And then Mm -hmm. it does because you like take the, you take what it is and you like extrapolate it out or whatever. So I think you can do it. I don't know that you, like, I don't, it's interesting because I think it's gonna be like a kind of a a quiet, small movie. That's not very bombastic, even though like it is kind of like, it's a mystery. Like it feels like it's the kind of movie you're like, Ooh, like this could be like a really cool trailer, but like it's gonna be tough. I think they might, you know, if they include in the movie her stealing the baby Jesus's cloak to wrap the <laughs> yeah, wine, yeah, I can, I can so see funny. that being in the trailer. The, the other thing that would uh, uh, like made me really laugh a lot. God, what is the circumstance of it, though? It's like she is um, she leaves work to go to lunch. And when she's in the car, she like she like goes and she gets a sandwich and she like turns on the radio and the Beach Boys are playing. And she's like talking, she's like, I normally hate rock music, but like right now I'm in the mood. And it's like to, to imagine like almost no music mm-hmm. in this um, in this movie at all. And then to have one scene of her in snowy New England, like sadly eating a sandwich alone and listening to the Beach Boys. Yeah, like there's something like really funny about that to me. Pretty good. So you still haven't seen Lady Macbeth. It's the only movie that I've seen of this guy but it's really good. Like that was the movie that I was like, Oh, mm-hmm. Florence Pugh was like, great. Like there was like, 
I was not the only one who found that. Like, I think Florence Pugh would be a better. I, I I'm not I'm not crazy about Thomas and Mackenzie. I think Florence Pugh would have been would have been a really good Eileen, and I think Jessica Chastain would be a really good Rebecca. I think Thomas and Mackenzie is actually probably a really good Eileen. I don't I don't love her as an actor, but I think she can embody the kind of like mousy sort Do of. Do you self. think Florence Pugh is a little too pretty? I think she's too. She, I think she. She's too confident, maybe? And, and we have, like, a social perception of her as a certain yes. way that skews the way that we view her as an actor. Because the other thing that I was thinking, she's too she's too old for this part now, but uh, 10 years ago, uh, Jenna Malone would have been great. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I think, I, I, I do think they kind of nailed the Thomas and McKenzie thing. Or maybe, it was also the difficulty, because you had read this at least once, if not twice, before this was becoming a movie, before they had casting or whatever. And so, like, you probably either intentionally or unintentionally were picturing, maybe picturing people who like could fit that role. Well, I said Jessica Chastain because I just saw Jessica Chastain in, right. in a play. Um, and and I uh, I really like Anne Hathaway. I think people have been really unfair to Anne Hathaway for most of her career. Yeah. Even though she's been wildly successful. So maybe people are not being that unfair to her. Um I just I, I don't I don't see this as a role. I'm willing to let her like win me over. I think like I might walk out of this movie going like I'm totally wrong. She was great in that role, which I I can't I, think of a movie she's been bad in. Yeah, though, she's, she's you a know? really, really good actor. So I, I don't think I don't have any problem with her. And we were talking best. about this over the weekend. Like she she does a dark thing in like Colossal. Like Colossal is not a, a typical. Yeah, Anne I haven't Hathaway seen it, but I was, th- I was thinking of Rachel getting married. She's pretty. That, that's a, that's a pretty dark. I haven't movie. seen that either. But you haven't seen Colossal. You haven't I, seen. I haven't seen Colossal. You want to borrow it? No, not really. Okay. Uh, and then I like Shea Wiggum as the dad because Shea Wiggum is from Fast and Furious. Yeah, and I said I was thinking of Bill Murray as the dad. Which would be, you know. Playing into type a little bit. Into type, you think? Well, I mean, we, I mean, we think of him as like a drunk guy who abuses people now. So, oh, so well, yeah. New type. Because I think <laughs> I think you cast Bill Murray and they're like, no, I'm on a side. Like, I like this dad. Like, it, like it's funny that he's being mean. Well, yeah, maybe. Which I think that 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 is not what the the goal like you need a guy is. that can actually like Vincent D'Onofrio would be good then, sure. I think a lot of people could just be like, oh, you're a piece of shit. Like that's yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think Bill Murray does that though, because he's too like he's got too much innate charisma. Yeah, and I think people like even in spite of like what has come out about him over the last like say year or two or whatever, I think a lot of people don't know that or will choose to compartmentalize that and be like, no, he's my. Well, you, you watch like you watch um, Stripes, right? I was talking with Kristen about this the other day, actually. Um, Do we believe her name? No, nah, you don't have to. We were watching Stripes and uh, like years ago. Bill Murray is such the, the character in that movie is such an asshole mm-hmm. to everyone. But you're supposed to look at him and be like, I like this guy. He's anti-authority. He's my kind of guy. Yeah. But he's not just a dick to people in authority. He's a dick to every single person. Right. And um yeah, I don't know. I, I it's 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 interesting. I think Shea Wiggum works because I don't know that like I'm sure he's actually known for things that like I don't picture him in. I just picture him as Stasiak in three different Fast and Furious movies. Like I know that I'm coming from him coming from this perspective in a very different place. He's best known for Take Shelter, which I still haven't seen yet. I need to see Take Shelter, Splinter, Nonstop, and Risk Cutter. So I think like people just like, maybe don't necessarily have mm-hmm. like, his character actor. Yeah, and so I think people are like. Oh, this guy's a real asshole. Like, mm-hmm. I think it, it just kind of works, right? So, um, anything else you want to say to you? Should we read Eggs email? No, I have a, I have a segment. Um, Ooh. A, a new segment, which I think can be brought up over and over again. Um, ah, you messed up. I was going to say drum roll and then push the button. Oh, well, we could also do. Sorry. 
the joke was going to be that the drum roll went on for like three minutes. Oh, well, we both and have then the same idea. Gonna, and then we're going to sit here awkwardly waiting for it. But we can't do it now. We, we both have the same you, idea to like turn yeah, to the to the sound machine. But yeah, I didn't realize you, that the sound machine right. was yeah. the segment. Yeah, you stepped on the joke. Fuck that but up. No, no. The, the segment is is um, poop stuff. Oh, yeah. I texted you. I'm like, another poop book. <laughs> we have I, – I, there is this thing in what feels like mostly – contemporary literature 21st century american literature where books dedicate pages and pages to the characters shitting yeah we have mount chicago pages and pages plot twists based around characters shitting you have the novelist Mm -hmm. pages and pages plot twists based on the characters shitting so much of this book megan boyle's live blog that had a lot of shitting in it too a lot of this book is is circling around this character taking laxatives, shitting her brains out, feeling completely emptied, and like just totally. I don't know. Without them, my movements were always pained and hard and took a good hour of clamping down and kneading my belly and pushing and praying. I often bled from the effort, digging my nails into my thighs, punching my stomach in frustration. With the laxatives, my movements were torrential, oceanic. Man, that's such a beautiful way to talk about shitting. (laughs) As though all of my insides had melted and were now gushing out a sludge that stank distinctly of chemicals and which, when it was all out, I half expected to breach the rim of the toilet bowl. Man, if you can make shit sound like poetry, you're a good writer. I have two suspicions about this. My first suspicion is that we are culturally um, eating very unhealthily. Sure. And getting – and we're also like – Generationally, it feels like we're getting more and more stressed out over, I don't know if it's nothing, everything, but everything. Yeah. And that's, that's binding us up and we're having more and more problems with shitting. And so shitting itself is making more appearances within our drama. Right. And then secondly, of course, and this book goes into it. So I feel like I have the window. I've talked about it in the novelist. I've talked about it in Mount Chicago. Um, you know, shitting is is a Freudian like nod to death mm-hmm. because it's the consumption of life and then the expulsion of of life as like, you know, the next stage was which is you know death obviously, and then that shit functions as fertilizer. But I I don't know that that's what's going on necessarily in this. But I I have to think that like you have this character expelling death. From I think her it's body. just her angst and her anxiety and everything, right? Like a manifestation of. Yeah, but it's like she can't shit in the same place as her father, right? So there's like she doesn't want her father to hear her shit, right? There's so much like tied up in these Freudian ideas about parents. Well, she also talks about like in in future Eileen, 50 years down the road, she's like, you know, the most intimate thing you can do is pee and have your partner hear you. Mm -hmm. Like not even see you, not even like, you know, weird kinky stuff or whatever, just like pee with a door closed. You can be here. It's just like, oh, like you have like a very specific way of thinking about like. You have deep shame tied to this. Yeah. And so that, and, and that deep shame is a deep Freudian shame, right? Because it's like you have the shame of, of, uh, shitting your pants when, when you're a kid and the anal trauma yep. of, right. Yep. I, I went into all of this way more in the other episodes, but it's like, that's what the, the, that's what like that trauma, like anal trauma is like some of our first trauma. And so like for her to relive, this is a book that is like largely about the trauma of this character. Mm -hmm. So for her to relive that in like a very physical way, rather than the mental way that she, she shows over and over again when she's talking about it, like this is a unconscious way for her to deal with that trauma is just like fucking shitting her guts out. Is there a funny way to look at 
not showering or is that just a just a character trait i don't know i mean i don't know that much about freud to be honest i'm i'm, I'm like uh you know at least partially um full of nonsense uh but like you know, you know what little i like like what little i do know seems to come up again and again and again in these books that we read and i think that again like i don't know if freud is is you know, like Adam Levin would would say that Freud was like nonsense. I mean, I he did. He said he, he said he thought that Freud was a really good writer, um, and and like convincing in his writing, but that his actually like ideas about unconscious and stuff like that were not were not true because uh, Levin's a behaviorist. But I think that he'd probably agree. Um, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Let's let's just say that what I think is that regardless of whether Freud was full of shit, like his ideas, literally, yeah, sorry. Sorry. His his ideas have um, like entered popular culture and and uh, writing um, through criticism, like via osmosis. So we think of these Freudian ideas and they make their way into our criticism, whether or not we intend them to, or not not necessarily criticism uh, criticism, but narrative as well. So when we write, even if we're not thinking of Freudian Freudianism, we're thinking like, "Well, I'm going to include shit here," and shit means something culturally, if mm-hmm, not mm-hmm. if not like psychologically it means it culturally and that culturally it it like enters into the psychology so like it's there whether we like it or not um and that is poop stuff (laughs) we have an email address speaking of poop stuff lottery at cageclub.me if you want to email in your thoughts about poop meg's reaction to eileen I love this book, Egg says. It was a great palate cleanser after Underworld. Even though there was a definite darkness around this novel, the darkness felt lighter than the heaviness of Underworld. I like that there was lots of Chekhov tension. Yeah, look at that. It's like she's not even listening to the episode. (laughs) It ended up being more of a red herring. Is it? Not really. Well, some of it is. The the icicle is. Yeah. I I think you used the word red herring earlier. It does. Yeah, because like it's. Because th- in my head, it was like, this is coming up so much, it yeah, can't yeah. be the thing. Yeah. Because, like, every time she, like, leaves the house or comes back in, she's like, mm-hmm. today could be the day. Yeah. It ended up being more of a red herring, but when Eileen is talking about locking her dad's shoes in the trunk, I wrote a note that said Chekhov's shoes. Oh, that's so what she's talking about isn't what we're talking about at all. But then the real Chekhov's gun was an actual gun, which felt cute in a fun way. I love the twist from mild horror into a thriller at the end. Eileen herself reminded me of a protagonist by Shirley Jackson. Namesake of the pod. Not really. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, I, yeah, I could see like the the. Um, yes, I forget her name, but the, the girl that's the main character in Haunting of Hill House, who is like, you don't know if she's crazy or not. I, I feel, not Nell. I feel like Nell? the same tension. I don't remember. We just did The Haunting for 1999 on the podcast. Bad movie. Yeah, terrible movie. Of course. The Haunting from 68 is good, though. I still haven't seen it yet. It's been on my Hooptober for two years, and it's just like, I'll get to it With eventually. A, uh, Claire Bloom. Of course, Egg says, I love the absolutely disgusting passages where Eileen goes into detail about her talking about her, quote, torrential laxative shit. <laughs> I swear, like, like I, I promise you that I do not read Meg's emails before the show. And and I don't think that Meg and I talked about that at all. I think I used the word palate cleanser because I, I read the first, because like, you know, when Gmail shows like the preview uh-huh. of the thing. So like I saw that. So I think I used that word, but like I definitely didn't. I had highlighted the torrential shits yeah. thing. Anyway, there's a part of me that wants to know what happened to Rebecca because I'm curious, but I'm glad the novel ended with Eileen just fucking off like she did. I liked that Eileen was able to escape. All in all, a fun novel. I'm glad I got to read. 
Well, it's also you, you don't know who Rebecca is because it is Eileen taking control of her own story for the first time in her life. Right. It's like the name of the novel is not Rebecca. The right. name of the novel is Eileen. And Eileen for up up until the point where she does fuck off, she is like always pre, uh, like preferencing other people's stories. It's her dad. She's taking over dad and then it's Rebecca. And then, you know, and like everyone else is the most charismatic person and it's not mm-hmm. her. But by not telling us what happened with Rebecca, by not telling us what happened with her dad, by her not even maybe even caring necessarily what happened with those characters, she's like gaining control over her own story. Mm-hmm. And the actual narrative itself, right? Like the not just her story, but like just the story we're being told. Yes, the, yeah. the book that's been written. If you want to email on lottery at cageclub.me, I just want you to keep reading. Whatever you do, just keep reading. Uh, today's crime is taking a tire iron. Mm-hmm. And smashing every single window at the corporate park near your house. You know you love me.